Ephesians 2, reading verses 1 through 10. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, were in time I'm sorry, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And you may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be gathered together like this. I'm going to read those verses again, verses 4 and 5. But let God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even while we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. I think in some ways I'm a little embarrassed because I'm preaching from verses that we are just spent time in Sunday school class with. But I had a couple people say I shouldn't be embarrassed about that, but just let the Holy Spirit work. Um, These are familiar verses. They're exciting verses. Um, They're wonderful verses um, from the Word of God that I think can have impact and meaning in our lives if we allow it to. I just want to... Okay, we got the PowerPoint. There we go. So the topic this morning is understanding God's great gift of salvation. And I'm going to be preaching from these 10 verses in Ephesians um, this morning. I believe understanding salvation may be one of the biggest problems we face in the American church or even in our church here at Weavertown. And I had preached on this um, out at Living Hope, and I basically changed the whole um, message I had from the one in Living Hope because I realized once again that this idea of salvation is something that we probably don't do very well with sometimes. Um, We have the American church, or what we call the greater American church, um, has their ideas of what salvation looks like. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on just salvation, but these verses just clearly lay out the plan of salvation. And the verses that we had um, in our Sunday school this morning, and I think a good grasp of uh, salvation is important. We have a lot of people who feel our works will save us. And then we have those who believe in the cheap grace gospel, where holiness doesn't matter. Paul Washer says, probably one of the greatest heresies since the beginning of the church is the heresy we have in the American church, thinking we can raise our hands and say the sinner's prayer at an altar and call and never repent of our sins and then say we are saved. Salvation is much more than that. And I know that's not what we hear often um, today. 
It's about just asking the Lord in our heart and everything's changed, everything's different. There's much more to it if you look at these verses. Ephesians does a wonderful job teaching us about redemption and how to be saved. So this morning I'd like to look at these verses and I'd like to see what God has for us. And there's four words that I want to um, talk about in these verses. Uh, The first word is um, sin. Something not very often talked about, but very clear in the first three verses. Next one is um, God's gift of grace. I'm sorry, next one is um, God's love to us, his gift of grace, and then salvation, and the last one, workmanship. Um, And we're just going to go through those three verses, or those four words today found in Ephesians um, chapter 2 there. I hope today's verses in Ephesians help us better understand these four words. Verses 1 and 3, I said, talk about sin. Fallen man, our hopelessness, dead in trespasses and sin. I apologize if I spend too much time in that, but I'll probably spend half my sermon on those first three verses um, because I don't think we hear much about that today. And if that's hard for us to accept, I guess we'll just have to wait to the next preacher next Sunday who isn't preaching on sin. But I'm going to try to lay a clear um, understanding of what sin is, and I don't even have to say much. These three verses here make it very, very clear. Verse 4, we're going to talk about God's mercy and love. What a wonderful thing God has given us. In verse 5 and 6, we see his great gift of grace. Um, And then the last three verses is our purpose for life, the purpose for salvation, the purpose for God's great gift of grace. Charles Hodges, a great Princeton theologian, said this about this passage. It begins with a spiritual state of man before their conversion, goes to the change which God has wrought in us, our salvation, and leads to the reason for God giving us salvation. That's basically the theme of these first ten verses. Very simple, very basic. Um, There's a lot here. I think we could have ten sermons in a row on these first ten verses. I'm just going to scratch the surface, but wonderful words, wonderful verses, um, and it's just right there. And if you want to do some studying, if you don't catch... um, the sermon this morning, just go back to these 10 verses. A clear, clear um, plan of salvation. Chapter 2 starts with the conjunction, and. And that means, um, it's come, it's, that means it's connecting the chapter before. The chapter before, we see the great power of his resurrection. And then we come to and. And in the and, it says what? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have to accept that and understand that and realize that we all were dead in trespasses and sins. And in the Sunday school lesson this morning, I was just realized, um, not just Jews, sometimes we think we have something special now as the Church of Christ, but we all, we all were dead in our trespasses and sins. We go from God's great resurrection to dead in our trespasses and sins. One of the reasons our churches today have a poor understanding of salvation is because they have a poor understanding of sin. I'm convinced of that. Used to be sin was preached much more than it is today. And we cannot understand salvation unless we understand our sinfulness. Um, And again, I think we see two ditches here often. We don't talk... um, We have people who don't want to talk about sin. It makes them feel bad to talk about sin. So they don't talk about it. And then they wonder why they have a terrible understanding of salvation. Like our view of salvation, like I said, there's two ditches. And I think the two ditches are this. Um, and they end up having both the same effect. 
Some think I'm perfect. I don't really, I'm not that sinful. Now, none of us here would say we're perfect or always were perfect, but some of us think we're just not that sinful sometimes. That's a ditch. We are all, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. And then there are those who think, you know what, a little sin don't hurt. I know I'm a bit sinful, but God can overlook that. It's not a big deal. Those are the two ditches. And I think we have to make sure we move out of one, uh, both of those ditches to the idea of we need repentance. And we need daily repentance. Even if when we are saved, we need to continue to repent of our sins. In order to understand salvation or even to become saved, we need to come to the grips with the sin in our lives. Do we understand our sinfulness? And I know I asked that question and probably all of us already have just kind of pushed that aside and said, yeah, I was sinful. Yeah, I am sinful. That's kind of what we do so often in the American church or in our churches. John Calvin said, nearly all wisdom we possess consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. You say, what does that mean? Someone else went on to say, we all know the knowledge of God is very difficult. I think we all accept that. But do we understand that the knowledge of ourselves may be more difficult to understand? And what I mean by that is, do we know how desperately sinful we are? I think that's something we probably forget. Prophet Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Bible has clear and devastating words about our soul so we can understand our predicament with God. So we desire grace. In our Sunday school class, somebody said um, that the law gave us a better knowledge of grace. Without the law, we didn't understand grace. Without knowing our sinfulness, and the law shows us our sinfulness, we have a hard time understanding grace. Look at verse 3. It's interesting. Paul says, we all, meaning even Paul walked in the lust of his flesh. They say, oh yeah, of course Paul walked in his lust of his flesh. He was just like us. But remember this. Paul also said in Philippians, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. Paul said he was blameless or perfect following the law. This is before he was, um, before he was a Christian. He is telling us, telling those who think they are good, that he lived a much more perfect life than they did. We got that? Always understand that Paul, before he was a Christian, lived a more perfect life than he did. That's what he's saying there. He was blameless, and he was trying to, to tell the Judaizers who thought they were much better than him, no, I was blameless according to the law. And then he goes on in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is the sobering part. He says, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that, Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We all know that. But he says, of whom I am chief. And notice he says, I am chief. That's present tense. That's hard for me, and I'm not going to try to explain that. But Paul is very clearly saying that he was very, very sinful, even though he handled the law, even though he was blameless according to the law. And if that's true, where's that put me and you? We need an understanding that we are clearly, we were clearly sinful and desperately wicked, dead in our trespasses and sin. We will never enjoy, we will never understand and enjoy the gift of God's grace till we know our, that we were dead in our trespass and sin. And that's why I'm trying to spend the time here in understanding sin. We understand that, it's going to help us get to the next verses. So, what's the big deal? We weren't really that bad. 
if we believe that, we will never understand how dead, if we never understand how dead we are, we're never going to appreciate God's grace. Ephesians 1, 9 to 23 takes us to the heights in exploring the power and the authority of a risen and ascended Christ. And then we get to 1 to 3, and we get to the depth of who we were without Christ. Paul, in the next three verses, explains the powerless, hopeless, lifeless condition of fallen man, enslaved by his own fleshly desires, dominated by the world around them and by Satan. Ezra 18, it says real clear, My soul, the soul who sins will die. Do we understand our sinfulness and our lost state? I believe it's often missed in our churches, not spoken about enough. We don't understand our sinfulness or unholiness or our lost state. We might as well talk. If we don't understand that, we might as well not even talk about grace. By the way, um, this idea of understanding the law, I think, can be a great tip for us parents in child training. If we don't give our children the law, they will never appreciate grace. We shouldn't be surprised because that's how we are. Our children need to understand the law. And when they get to understanding who, what God is in them, they realize they're sinful and need God's grace. If they think they're special and they think they're just good children and have always been good children, they're never going to want to accept God's grace. Consider the contrast between Christ's position and ours here. Christ is alive because of his righteousness, but we are dead because of our sins. Christ is exalted, seated, um, seated in heavens. We are on earth. Christ has given power and authority over all powers and authorities. We are subject to the powers and authorities. Lost men without Christ, blinded, deceived by Satan, believing they are really living it up when in reality they are dead. Remember that state? It was all of us, actually enslaved to the world, powerless in our dead state. The irony of fallen man is we don't realize our condition until after we're saved. Let's look at these verses now. I'm not finished with sin yet. Let's look at these three verses. The verses here are very clear on what sin is. Sorry. What is our view of sin? Oops. I'll get it here. We were following the ways of the world, the prince of the power of the air. Look at the verse there in verse um, 2. Wherein in times past we walked according to the course of this world. Um, the, according to the course of this world, to the prince of the power of the air. What is the course of the world? It means society, life patterns, lifestyles, the world, um, lifestyle of the world today. A lot could be said about this, but I don't believe you can sum this up in a word. But I believe it can be summed up in a word that we've probably heard quite often, and that's the word worldliness. Now, I know for some of us who've been um, maybe from the old school where that was preached a lot, the word worldly kind of, I don't know, agitates us because it kind of, it does me anyways, I'll be honest. Um, but that word is, sums up this whole thing of Prince of the Power of the Air. It is worldliness. It's a heart that is driven to doing what the world does. Um, and it says here in Ephesians that that's who we were. We were driven to the world. Before we were born again, we were trapped into following the course of the world. We lived and had worldly hearts. We loved the things of the world. 
It is what drove us and made us who we were. A born-again person no longer follows the course of the world. We may still be tempted, but we're not going to follow that course. Before we were Christians, we were completely mesmerized by the world. We were seeking everything the world had to offer. We were very worldly, but when we were saved, our course changed and we followed the things of God. And by the way, if we're still mesmerized by the world every day, are we truly Christian? Um, something we should think about. And I'm not saying we should, that to ask us to, 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 um, to not give us assurance of salvation, but I, I'm saying that to, as Christians, we need to have a different course. Before we became Christians, the devil took the dead state we were in and energized it by the world, by the things of the world. If we're energized by the things of the world, that's the dead state Satan um, has, has us in. The next thing we see here is we had the spirit... We had the spirit of disobedience, a spirit of rebellion against our authorities and ultimately against God. We were going to walk where we were going to walk and how we wanted to walk, and we would disobey anything we chose to disobey. That's a spirit of disobedience. We know about that spirit? I think that's called the spirit of the flesh. I think that's within our flesh is a desire to say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm my own authority. Um, But when Christ came in, that was changed. Um, A spirit of disobedience is always a sign of an unsaved person. Notice it doesn't say when we disobey, we lose our salvation. But it does say that those who are dead have the spirit of disobedience. It's a spirit that lives within us that we want whatever I can get. We know about that. A young child has that at at how old? I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to get what I want. And nobody's going to stop me. But if that stays that way, we still have that dead spirit in us. These things were found in all of us who were not saved. It may have looked different in each one of us. Some of us, the spirit of disobedience can be a passive disobedience. Some of us were real aggressive. Some of those more hyperactive children, right? You can see it pretty clearly. Um, But they all have it. We all had that spirit of disobedience. Next thing we find is we were living in the lust of the flesh and of the mind. The ESV says, we lived in the passions of flesh, seeking to please our flesh. Know about that? An unbeliever is always seeking to please his own desire before God's desires. That is who we were in Christ. That's before we were saved. The sign of an unbeliever is one who seeks to please the one who saved... I'm sorry, the sign of a believer is the one who seeks to please the one who saved him. Next thing we see here... We were objects of God's wrath. That's all of us, before we were saved. That's a scary thought, or maybe it's not. Maybe we're not even scared about that thought. That was all of us. If we're not scared about that thought, someday we will be. We are objects, we were objects, were objects of God's wrath. If we are unsaved, we are objects of God's wrath. Maybe the scariest statement in all the Bible. If we have not been saved, we are children of wrath like it says, and objects of God's wrath. All of God's judgment will be put on us someday. If that don't scare us, I don't know what will. If we are not saved. That's what it says. Objects of God's wrath. I don't know what else it could mean, but that. 
without salvation, we by nature are the children of wrath, and we will be judged accordingly. Romans 2, um, verses 2 to 7. I'm going to read that real quick, just for a clear... Um, you could turn with me if you want to, Romans 2, verses 2 to 7. It says like this. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such judgments. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and dost the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impotent heart, Treasures up for thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation against the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who are patient, to them who by patient continuance in well doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Very clear. We are object of God's wrath if we're not born again. Let's get that. Let's understand that. Um, But the next verse starts with what? Somebody give me the next verse. Two words. But God. Are we thankful for these next verses? But God. Do we appreciate God's great love toward us? And what was that? Um, the atonement, the salvation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the atonement. I should. I have in the past, and I think we can continue to study what God has done for us. Um, God could have left us in our hopelessness. He would have des- we would have deserved that. We get that? We would have deserved that. But he didn't. He sent his son to save us. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us. If we don't, got that, if we don't get excited when we hear that, we don't have a heartbeat of Jesus Christ. God, who was rich in his mercy, for his great love, he saved us. Do we really appreciate and understand the atonement and the cross? I'm not sure we will ever understand and appreciate that till we get to heaven, but we should spend time here on earth talking about that, reading about God's atonement, studying God's atonement, getting excited about the cross. It should be everything to us. In the past, at times, I thought there were churches that spent about too much time just talking about salvation and the cross. Um, The older I get, the more I realize we can't talk too much about the cross. It is our greatest gift. I more recently have realized that um, this is what we should be spending most of our time. Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we should be the same here at Weavertown. You see, this is our only hope. As lost sinners, that's why it is so important. God's wrath toward our sins was placed on Jesus Christ. Do we understand that? We were just talking about that wrath that all of us, the wrath of God, all of us are part of. If we're Christians, Jesus took all of that wrath for us. That's what salvation is about. Because, of, because God's wrath toward our sins was placed on Jesus Christ. Because of God's great love for us, in verse 4, he loved us and sent his son to save us. First of all, <clears throat> first of all God in his love gave his son so we can be saved. We know John 3.16 Very clear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is the unfathomable love that he would send his only begotten son and put his penalty of my sins on a wretched sinner like me. First of all, we need to understand God loves us no matter what we do. In fact, God loved the whole world, but only some will be saved. Mercy and grace have to do, God loved everybody, but he didn't give everybody, or not everybody accepted his mercy and grace. We'll talk about that here in a bit. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Um, Verse 5. Because of his mercy, Jesus' atonement on the cross, God, after he saved us, doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. Our love for God is prompted by his love for us a love which initiates our love in response. We love because he first loved us, John, 1 John 4, 19. God's love for us is vastly different from our, as our love for him. He loved us while we were yet sinners, while we were still dead in our trespasses and sin. But why does God save us? It should be a question. Why did he even do this? And we keep going. We're going to get to that here um, in verse 7 and, and then verse 10. Why did he save the why did he save the children of Israel who continued to bring them back who continued to bring them back and continued to bring them back despite their stubbornness? They were stiff-necked people. Why did God do that? Why did he I often thought about that. You read read um, uh, the Old Testament and the children of Israel time and time again stiff-necked. What was why God did you even mess with them? Why didn't you give up on them a long time ago? And when I start thinking about that question, I ask, why did he love me? Why don't he give up on me? And I'm so thankful that he doesn't. There must be a reason. Um, we can better answer that question as we continue on um, in the next couple of verses. Quote I found about God's love and mercy toward us. God's love is not a response, but a cause. God's mercy is not prompted by our potential or by our qualities we think we possess, but by our pathetic condition. Divine grace was not bestowed on us because we were worthy, but because God found, or because God found anything good in us, but because of the goodness which is in God himself. The goodness is in the giver, not the recipient. You get that? The goodness is in the giver, Jesus Christ, not in me. It's kind of like if a plastic surgeon would offer you a free makeover so that he can use your face as he does work on you, as an advertisement. Would you take that as feeling pretty good about yourself? Or would you think the plastic surgeon wants to see the contrast of a very bad-looking face or a bad-looking person to somebody who's beautiful? Um, I think God's a little that way. So God's grace is God sent Jesus Christ to the world to suffer and die in the sinner's place. He did this because we were in such terrible shape. He did this so that we can demonstrate his grace. God's motivation in saving us should not flatter us, but it should remind us of God's great love for us despite our own wickedness. God's next, God's great gift of grace. Now, I'm, just, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in verses 5 to 9, um, but I'm just going to give this story, and I think it kind of illustrates God's grace. One evening, as Henry was walking along the streets, he saw a little girl coming out of a basement store carrying a pitcher of milk. She was taking it home, but when she, 
was a few yards away from Henry, she suddenly slipped and fell. Her hands let go of the pitcher of milk, and it fell on the sidewalk and broke, the, and broke, and the milk ran into the streets. The little girl began to cry instantaneously. Henry ran up to her and to see if she was okay. As Henry attended the little girl, he began to say to her, It's okay, don't cry. But there was no stopping her tears. Nothing Henry did would stop her from crying. Finally, she uttered the words many children may have said when they make mistakes like this. My mommy's going to spank me. My mommy's going to spank me. She said repeatedly. Henry tried to calm her down, but it was of no use. Finally, he said to her, Your mommy won't spank you. Let me see if the picture is not so badly broken. Maybe I can put the picture together. At that, the little girl stopped crying, and Henry began working to put the picture back together. The little girl had hope. She had come from a family who could repair and fix things. Maybe this stranger could do that. Henry worked very hard at putting the pieces together, back together, but it was impossible for Henry. The little girl began to cry again. Finally, Henry picked up the little girl in his arms, headed to the local store, and bought her a brand new pitcher. With the pitcher in one arm, the little girl in the other, he headed back to the store where the little girl bought, where he bought milk and for the pitcher. Henry asked where the little girl lives, and, she had, and then headed to her house. They reached her house. Henry set her down on the steps, put the pitcher of milk in the little girl's hand, and opened the door for her. As she stepped inside, Henry asked one final question. Do you think your mother will spank you? With a bright, big smile, she said, Oh no, it is a much better picture than the one we had before. What a, and I think that illustrates our salvation, um, God's grace to us. When we are saved, um, we, um, God's grace is a much greater picture of, what he, uh, of him working in us. Grace not only saves us, but it gives eternal life. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, and hath risen us and has risen us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Mercy is God not giving what we deserve, and we heard this before, the wrath of God, but grace is not only but is not only not giving us what we deserve, but it's giving us eternal life and salvation. But grace is not only something we needed at salvation, but something we continue to need. Remember, it is by grace we are saved. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved, present tense. God changed us or quickened us by his grace even when we were completely lost in sin. The miracle we just talked about. This change from our dead state to his sin to being alive with Christ because of love and grace toward us. The word quickened means made alive. It means to change from a state of deadness to life. This is salvation. To quicken means to live or to revive, be revived. Next one in verse 8, that, that not of yourselves is a gift of God. And we've heard this many times, but I think it's just, I'm just going to remind us again. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward us. It is a gift of God. And that gift was his son dying for our sins, taking our penalty so we can be saved. Then you see we are saved through faith. Faith becomes the instrument cause for our salvation. I'm going to read that verse there again. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God. And here's where we get, I think, confused sometimes. Um, is it what does it take for us to be saved? Faith is the only element we bring to our salvation. It is by faith alone we are saved. James 
does say faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. I believe if we want to have faith and trust in Him, we will need to continue in the Word of God. But God will give faith to all who desire it and seek to follow His Word. This is not a means of works, which this is important to understand. Some people think, well, if faith is the only thing we have to bring, we need more faith, or we need to drum up faith to be a Christian. And that's not what he's saying. It's not a works of faith. It is a simple, basic faith. So if you desire to follow God today, thank him for that desire God gives you for, to have faith. Whenever we want to turn from our sins and the Holy Spirit through the word of God convicts us to change us and to make us more like him. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 in the ESV says this, For the sorrows that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, sin is the problem. Faith is a desire to turn from our sins. And when we have that desire, God will do the work to change us. Faith is the instrument of our salvation and is the instrument to keeping us saved. When we have faith, God works to change. God does the work to change us. Look at verse 9 now. Before we start thinking, well, at least I can work on having better faith. Not of works lest any man should boast. So even in our faith, if we think of our faith as works, we're missing it. Don't look at faith as something we need to work on. It's not a works lest any man should boast. Faith is from God and is simple as a desire to follow God. It's a small childlike faith that saves us. Not of any works will save us or that we can boast about being saved because of our great faith. It is all of God and none of us. But if we have that faith, we will live a changed life. God's gift of grace is powerful and will help us live repentant, changed lives. He says in verse 9, he, does this so we, he doesn't do this so we can boast, but so God can boast. And that brings us to the last point. And I think this is so important for us to understand. We are God's workmanship, his beautiful masterpiece talked about that a little bit in our Sunday school lesson, and I think probably all of you covered that last week. We did not, could not save ourselves from our dead state. It took God's incredible, great power to save us. If we'd be able to save ourselves from our trespass and sin, we would spend eternity doing what? Praising ourselves, right? But we couldn't save ourselves. God had to do it. And because of that, we are going to spend eternity praising the one who did it for us, Praising God for his wonderful grace to us. Look at verse 7. Go back to verse 7. I just skimmed over this verse, and I'm going to read this verse again. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to spend eternity looking at how God changed each one of us. We're going to be spending time looking at the grace of God in the lives of all the people here and the lives of all the Christians of the world. Um, what will God be showing off in heaven? He's going to be showing off the work he did in our lives. Not the work we did in our lives, but the work he did in our lives. He's going to be showing the work of grace in our lives. When God in his love has extended grace to us, the grace had an amazing work in our lives. It changed a wretched sinner to a saint. And I can say, look around you. There's saints in here. I think many of us, but I always think about some of them. Um, 
in the front benches, and I know there's many throughout. And those saints, or each one of the saints here, each one of the Christians here, whether you just became a Christian or you've been Christian for a long time, has a miracle work of Christ in us, showing off God's incredible grace. When God in his love extended grace to us, the grace had an amazing work in our lives. I believe the changes in our lives here on earth will be the stories we will see when we get to heaven. I believe there will be so many stories that it will go on for eternity. Just telling the story. Even just look in your own life. How much of a story are you of God's grace? How long would it take to tell that story when you start unraveling that story? Many, many years, I think, for eternity. And what will happen when these stories are told? Somebody tell me that. What will happen when these stories are told? Will Norman be glorified? We're going to bow down and worship God and Jesus Christ. We're going to be so taken by those stories that it's going to bring us to worship. But let's go to the last verse now. What does it mean by God's workmanship? Some say this word workmanship means beautiful work of art, a masterpiece. We are his beautiful work of art, his masterpiece, when we were saved by God. Started, God started a work in our lives, and we are becoming his excellent masterpiece. He's painting that masterpiece every day in the lives around us, and Christians around us, in our own lives. He wants all to see that masterpiece for his honor and glory. You see, God's looking to display his grace in your life here on earth. But like it says in verse 7, and he also will do this in heaven in the ages to come. God in his grace loves to change a wretched sinner into a wonderful saint. We know the song that John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound has saved a wretch like me. When we get to heaven, even here on earth, God will display that wonderful, amazing grace. Not of me, but of Christ working in me. And remember, we're not doing the work by the Spirit, but the Spirit is doing it within us. It's not our works, let's just be clear on that, but it is the Spirit working in us. What does God mean by that masterpiece? We were created to be His masterpiece. Christians are... So, we can become um, His masterpiece. We won't get the credit for the grace of God in our, um, in our lives, but God will get that credit. I believe this is the part of casting our crowns before Christ um, and us worshiping Him. I believe this morning, Eli, Liddy, Frida, and many others who went on before us um, today are showing God's grace in heaven. Our response to the hard things in our lives are often where the beautiful masterpiece is found. And I think that's something we need to understand. God prepared before we were born, um, and that brings us to the next part of verse 10, um, 10. interesting it says, God prepared before we were born to live out his story in our lives. Look at, look at verse 10. It says here, For we were his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What does that mean? Before we were born, everything that happened to our, everything that is happening to us, everything that has happened to us, God before ordained. That's hard to understand. But it means those things were there for us, for us to create that beautiful masterpiece. The hard things in our lives, the things that we say, why did you allow that, God? 
I don't understand the sovereignty of God, but I'll be first one to I'll be the first one to admit that. But I will say those hard things that God put in your life, God wants to use to create that beautiful masterpiece. And I've seen it in saints here at church. I've seen it in many Christians. Those people who have gone through hard, hard things. You look at those people and they are a beautiful masterpiece of God. God before ordained everything that happened to us for his good works. He said we were made for good works. Everything that has happened to us is for a purpose and part of our creation and part of our creation and who we are. These things were brought to us for us to bring honor and glory to God. We can use them to either curse God or create that beautiful masterpiece. Remember, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And remember, we showed, he showed us his great love and mercy when we were completely dead in our sins. And by his great grace, we were saved, not of ourselves. It, looked, it took an amazing miracle of God that saved us. If that is true, we should allow God to use those circumstances to honor him. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you in your hard times, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. We were created for God's works. God abounded his, abounded his grace toward us. God in his sovereignty created us and everything about us, our personality, our family, our gifts, and yes, even our circumstances we have before God ordained that we should do this, or that we should walk in this to be his workmanship. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do this as the ability with which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion and power forever. Amen. First, God, first of all, loved us, then he showed his mercy to us, and then he extended his grace toward us, so that we can be resurrected from our dead state to the state of life, so that we can be his workmanship. God brought all this together, and I believe he did that for you and for all of us here to be a workmanship for Jesus Christ. And why? That in the ages to come, he will show his exceeding riches of his grace. This is for all of us, that in the ages to come, for all eternity, we can bring glory and honor to God. Like it says in chapter 1, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. I'd like to close with the question, what is our response to the exceeding greatness of his grace? I think we as a church have gone through some pretty hard things in the last several months or last year. Um, Many of us have, are sorting through our emotions and wondering the best way to move forward. I believe when we remember what God did in our lives at salvation, the love, mercy, and grace he showed us, that masterpiece is being painted right now, right here at Weavertown. And how we deal with the adversity, how we deal with the hard things that we're going through right now, many of us in different areas and different ways, is going to affect that masterpiece and how we... Um, how we honor and glorify God. I believe one of the best things we can do in struggles is to remember God is using what's happening in our lives right here at Weavertown to continue to paint his masterpiece so we can display it for eternity to the praise of his grace.
He knows what we're going through. In fact, it says in verse 10, he before ordained these things we're going through right now so we can walk in them, so we can be his masterpiece. Everything that's happening to us, he planned for us to walk through so that in the ages to come, we can display that exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Let's don't miss that opportunity. And I know those, we're going to have those opportunities from now to the time we die to display God's grace, to let him work that masterpiece in our life. And those masterpieces come, I think we all know this, we've heard this many times, they come during hard times mostly. The painting gets more beautiful as the hard things, as we accept those things in our lives. God bless each one of you as you live out God's wonderful grace in your lives. And remember, the grace is often displayed when we let God use the hard things to honor and glorify him. Let's kneel together for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your many, many, many great, rich um, blessings to us. Thank you especially, first of all, for your gift of salvation, your gift of grace to us um, who didn't deserve it. Um, Help us to remember every day in our lives um, what you did for us and remember where we came from, the lost state we were in. Um, Help us to remember to to use your grace to honor and glorify you, to allow that to uh, become a masterpiece. God, I pray for um, each one of us here that we could do that, but I pray for those also who don't understand God's grace, who haven't been, um, been saved by his grace. Help us help them to understand your great love for them um, and that while they were still dead in their sins, that you were willing to, um, willing to use them, or willing to um, save them from, from those dead sins. Thank you again for your blessings to us and your hope. Thank you for the church here. Um, pray that we as, we as a church, not only as individuals, could be that beautiful masterpiece, but as a church we could display um, that masterpiece, the masterpiece that comes from the grace that you have given us. Thank you again for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.